Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome. It's good to share this time and be together uh, and, and to share a time of fellowship, a time of worship together. And we welcome everyone this morning. Welcome our guests especially. Uh, you're very important to us. We're glad that you're here and hope God will bless you in a very special way today. I'd like to remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and fill them out so we can have a record of your attendance with us today and then pass it down the row so others can do the same. Um, if you would do that, we would certainly appreciate it. And we also would like to welcome Brianna Cox with us today. She's uh, playing the piano and she's going to be singing for us in a few minutes. Welcome, Brianna. We look forward to your music today. Uh, just a few announcements that I want to call to your attention. Uh, first of all, we will be serving lunch at, um, at the Salvation Army on Saturday, this coming Saturday. And I know that's an important uh, mission project for, for many of you. And if you would like to participate in that and be a part of that project, then please see Christine Cornelius, and she'll get you signed up for that for this Saturday. We're also um, making plans for our extreme build. Uh, this is something that we've done for a number of years, uh, and there's a sign-up sheet on the table as you go out, and we'd like to ask if you would to sign up for that if you'd like to participate. Uh, this is a great project where we will um, meet about 100 volunteers from around Kentucky over in McCreary County, uh, Kentucky, and within one week we'll build a house. And it's pretty remarkable to see this happen, and it's, uh, and it's even more remarkable to be a part of that. So if you would like to, to be a part of that, please sign up on the sign-up sheet. You can go for however long you want to go. You can go for one day or three days or seven days, however you want. It'll be fine. And also, uh, you'll see in your bulletin, we have the uh, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship National Meeting. It's coming up in uh, June in, in um, Atlanta. And if you would like to be a part of that, then uh, please let me know. And I believe that there is some, uh, some grant money available for first-time attendees, so uh, that will uh, defray some of that cost. And so just please just let me know, and we'll make arrangements for that. Okay, uh, before we move on, it's time to celebrate. Uh, so I need some volunteers. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Some of you know what, uh, what we're doing here, don't you? Uh, as, uh, many of you know we are uh, in the midst of a... Don't just scoot up just a little bit so I can get behind you. We are in the midst of a, uh, a debt reduction campaign uh, here, at, here at our church. We are trying to uh, cut our mortgage debt that's been holding us back for over 20 years now. We have two chains here. Some of you have seen it. The long chain represents the total debt that we began with about 20 years ago. That's $1.2 million. That's what we started with. Each link in this chain represents $10,000. So there's 120 links in the long chain. But here, let's see here, somewhere around, uh, anybody see a... Uh, Yeah, I'm looking for the, uh, there's one that's marked with a masking tape on it. You remember where it is? You see where it is? Anyway, it's disappeared. Anyway, it's here somewhere. I was going to show you where we started. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll find it later on. Trust me, it's here somewhere. But where, where we start. 
Oh, okay. That got that got switched around there. Okay. That got that got switched around then. Um, starting point. We started on this debt campaign a little over a year ago in February of last year, and we started out our, at, at that point our debt was just a smidgen under sixty six hundred thousand dollars. That's how much was left on our mortgage uh, almost a year, a little over a year ago. Um, but since then. Um, We've been making great efforts to, uh, to reduce this debt significantly, and that's much due to uh, the help and the generosity of all of you folks that have been making this possible. We're reducing our debt, and uh, every time we break through a barrier of uh, $10,000, we cut one of these links off of the chain because each one of these links represents $10,000. And we are, little by little, we are whittling away at this debt. And today, well, as of, actually as of the end of, uh, of March, our balance stood at $447,269.71. Uh, yeah. These figures are up through the end of March. And so that means that within, uh, within just 13 months, in just 13 months, we've reduced our debt by over $150,000 or over 25% of the debt that we started out with 13 months ago. So that's pretty good, folks. We're, doing, we're making great strides there. And so today we are going to be cutting uh, uh, link number 45. We're going to cut that away. And um, that leaves only 44 more links. And each of those links stands for $10,000. So we are whittling away for that, and we are grateful for your generosity and your consistency in making this happen. Uh, every month we're, we're adding to this. We're, we're adding to our, our – actually, we're taking away from our debt, and, uh, and it's making significant strides. And I think we're, we're seeing a little hope at the end of the tunnel that we're – we're, we're going to be debt-free one of these days, and we're looking forward to that. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your consistency and your giving towards this, and thank you for your effort and your prayers, and we are grateful for you. You make me proud to be a part of such a, good, a giving congregation. So let's celebrate by standing and shaking each other's hand and uh, sharing the love of Christ with one another.
Let us, let us pray together. Oh God, we are thankful that you indeed do live. And because you live, we can face tomorrow. Oh holy and mighty God, we, along with the apostles, we are living in the, the afterglow of the resurrection and, and the celebration of that and the uh, celebration of your life after death. But also like them, O oh God, we have our fears. We have our doubts. We want to believe with all of our hearts the story that we have heard about your resurrection. But so often the daily struggles of life get in the way of our faith. And so we pray that you would help us, O oh God. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to walk through each day's obstacles so that we may see them not so much as causes for our doubts, but as barriers to be lifted by our faith. O God of our journey, we praise you and we thank you for gathering us to worship and to discuss and to decide and to act together in your name. Give us a vision today beyond our usual vision and give us a faith that is strong as we walk with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Come on down, children. music. Everybody agree? Yeah. And I've got bright red curly hair. No. <laughs> Everybody look. Well, <laughs> what you just had there was doubt. Not certain at all that what I said was true. And we all experience doubts. And sometimes doubts are very good because they'll keep you from doing things in life that might not be good for you, right? Well, I can remember when I was a teenager, I'd say, Dad, may I have the car Friday night? And I'd take friends up to the Dairy Queen, you know, go around and everything. He'd say, kind of doubt it. <laughs> and so next weekend, Mom, can we have friends over for spend the night? Kind of doubt it. She learned that from Dad, I'm sure. My sister and I soon learned that kind of doubt it meant no. But this morning, do we have to see things to believe them? Do we have to? Think about this. Air. How do we know air is air? You walk outside today and the wind blows those leaves. Isn't that air? Air is moving around. Okay, what about sound waves? Can't see them, can you? But can you hear the sound? All right. Can you see Jesus? And I'm not talking about the pictures you might have hanging in the Sunday school class, okay? Can you see him? No. The fact that Jesus is in our lives makes us happier, nicer people, sharing people, and that's what it's all about. And let me assure you, I am 100% sure, without a doubt, and the adults would know, take it to the bank, that Jesus loves you and will always be there. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, dear Jesus, for being alive and for being here with us. And thank you for helping us to believe that you will always be with us. Amen.
Sally's under the weather this morning. I answered the call this morning, so we'll keep her in our prayers. Please pray with me. Father, you have welcomed us to your home this beautiful morning. We as believers know you are always with us. However, sometimes you send a wake-up call to pull us back to you when we wander away. We're here today as believers, and we offer these tithes and offerings. We ask your guidance to use them to spread your love, and we ask this in your name. Our scripture reading today comes from John 20, 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God.
Thank you, Brianna. Wasn't that, wasn't that awesome? It was really beautiful. And thank you for that great message and uh, to remind us that God does raise us up to be more than we can be. A few years ago, there was a, a contest to judge the funniest joke in the world. And, he, and the winning joke went like this. Two men were out hunting in the woods when suddenly one of them clutches his chest and gasps for breath, drops to the ground. His friend immediately gets on his cell phone and dials 911. He tells the emergency operator, my friend just died. What should I do? And the operator said, just calm down, take it easy. First of all, you need to make sure that he's dead. And so there was a few seconds of silence and then a gunshot. And the man gets on the phone and says, okay, what now? (laughs) That's that's awful, isn't it? (laughs) But I see you laughing. (laughs) I, I guess that's one way to make sure that someone is dead. But how do you make sure that someone is alive that was dead? These days, it's really hard to be certain about anything, isn't it? I mean, there always seems to be room for doubt in just about anything that we that we do. However, doubt can be disheartening, and and so some wise people have have taken doubt to its logical conclusion and have begun to doubt their doubts, and they've discovered that this works very well for them. Author Robert Louis Stevenson was like that. Like so many young people in his early years of life, Stevenson rebelled against his upbringing. He had been raised in Scotland in a very strict Calvinist home. But as a college student, he quickly shed that rigid upbringing like so many young people do these days. He called that upbringing the deadliest gag and wet blanket that can be laid upon a man. He adopted a thoroughly bohemian lifestyle, and he called himself a youthful atheist. However, as he became older, Stevenson began to have doubts about his doubts. He came to see that for all of its claim to wisdom, the world had no satisfying answers to some of the deepest questions of life. Later, Stevenson would write, There is a God who is manifest for those who care to look for him. In the later years of his life, Stevenson was a man of deep and profound faith. Towards the end of his life, he described his religious outlook as a cast iron faith. But early in his life, he experienced doubt. Doubt. Who among us has not suffered from our own bout with doubt? I should have named the sermon that. (laughs) Who has not struggled with our own bout with doubt? Well, our scripture for today is about the world's most famous doubter, Thomas. It seems that the news about Jesus' resurrection spread quickly among Jesus' disciples. And you can imagine the excitement of, uh, of Mary Magdalene and the others as they came in, as they told the disciples about how they had encountered the risen Christ. You can imagine the excitement in their voices, their, their, their breathlessness as they, as they ran to the disciples and said, guess what we saw? Guess who we saw? But you can also imagine the skepticism with which this information was received. I'm sure that they found, that the the disciples found it very difficult to believe what these women were trying to say to them. In fact, we are told that they considered it to be the idle nonsense of distraught and hysterical women. And they did not believe it. But as more and more followers of Jesus began to have their own encounters with the risen Christ, these, these stories began to take on more credibility. 
But of course, the most famous holdout was a disciple named Thomas. He was not there that first day that Jesus came and revealed himself to the disciples. And when when they told him about it, he wouldn't even believe them. And he said, unless I place my fingers in the nail prints in his hands, unless I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. I'm sure that many of us have had those times in our lives when we could identify with Thomas. You see, we too have rebelled. We, we too have doubted. But here's something that you need to know today. And indeed, it may surprise you. For you see, I believe that doubt is one of the most important tools that God can use to produce men and women of faith. Really? You know, I I really believe that. And I worry when someone says to me, and it happens from time to time, not often, but I worry when someone says to me, I have never doubted my faith in God for one moment. I worry when somebody says that to me. I'm sorry, I just don't believe it. I don't believe that. Are you alive? Do you have a brain? Do you ever use it? (laughs) I'm convinced that God has deliberately placed obstacles to faith in our world. I mean, think about it. If God meant for us to walk with utter certainty in our lives, then why doesn't God reveal God's self to us more clearly? Woody Allen once said that he would have no difficulty believing in God. All God would have to do would be to deposit a million dollars in a secret Swiss bank account in Woody's name. We we may not go that far, but it does cause us to ask, why doesn't God give us an understandable answer to those hard questions of life like, why do good people have to suffer? And if we if we clearly understood those issues that we struggle with in our lives as as we deal with them, as we doubt, if we had a, a clear understanding of those things, it would be so much easier for us to believe, wouldn't it? And why didn't God give us a guidebook that is not open to so many diverse interpretations as the Bible is? Why doesn't God just speak to us in a clear, loud voice at the end of the worship service and reveal God's self to us so that, like those early disciples, we could leave here and, and, and tell all, all of our friends, I've seen the Lord. It seems pretty clear to me that God intends for us to struggle with the great questions of life. It may be, may be that when we struggle with our faith, we actually become stronger in our faith and more mature in our faith. In my opinion, to never have any doubts about our faith is to never take our faith very seriously. You remember the, the character um, Christian in John Bunyan's classic portrayal of the life and faith called uh, A Pilgrim's Progress? You remember that character? If you remember, Christian's journey to the celestial city is not all that smooth and easy. In fact, his way to God's kingdom is filled with discouragements and detours along the way. He becomes bogged down in the slew of despond. He becomes lost in the bypass meadow. He spends time in doubting castle and in vanity fair. And I think what Bunyan is trying to say to us through this allegorical tale is that faith was never intended to be easy. God doesn't want our faith to be easy. This world was meant to be a training ground to produce strong souls. Just as the military uses obstacle courses to to train strong soldiers, God uses obstacles to train us, to make us strong in our faith. And doubt is one of those obstacles that helps us, helps to strengthen us. Let me use an analogy from the world of commercial fishing. 
Years ago, seafood companies had a difficult problem with the shipment of codfish to customers on the, who lived inland or, or maybe even on the other side of the, of the country there. Shippers discovered that frozen codfish loses its flavor in the shipping process. People didn't want to buy it. And shipping live cod wasn't any better because the codfish became soft and mushy as it, in the holding tanks as it traveled across country. So somebody came up with the idea of throwing some catfish in to the holding tanks with the codfish, with the live codfish. You see, catfish and codfish are natural enemies. And so in, in a quest for survival, the catfish were, con- was, were constantly chasing around the codfish, and the codfish were swimming around, and they were in constant motion as they sought to escape the catfish. And therefore, the, these codfish were kept in, a, in peak condition from the ocean to your dinner table. I guess you could say that doubt and frustration and other obstacles of our faith are the catfish that God has placed in our tank to keep us swimming. (laughs) To keep us in peak condition. That wonderful writer Frederick Buechner put it like this. He said, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith that keep us alive and moving. (laughs) So doubt is one of, the, one of God's most effective tools for producing men and women of faith. However, in order to experience the true joy that God wants for each of God's children, there needs to come a time when we begin to doubt our doubts. Doubting our faith, that's pretty easy. That, we do that naturally, but doubting our doubts... That's more profitable for us. That's better for us in the long run. Again, referring back to uh, Pilgrim's Progress, there's another character in that story named Mr. Ready to Halt. Mr. Ready to Halt, it was so hung up on his doubts that, that he went all the way to the celestial city on crutches. He got there, but the journey was tortuous and And he had very little joy along the way. And a lot of the doubt that we experience in young adulthood, it's a need to rebel against our our upbringing. And and again, I I suspect that this may be a part of God's plan for our lives. I mean, if parents and children didn't disagree on some things, then our children would never leave, would they? (laughs) Just saying. Jesus didn't condemn the prodigal son for leaving home. That's a part of the process of becoming an adult, you know? However, one lesson that we do learn from the the story of the prodigal son is that we don't want to spend a lifetime in a pig pen either, do we? You see, spiritual maturity comes when we're ready to doubt our doubts and to come around and come back to God. J. Hamilton, uh, J. Wallace Hamilton once told a story about a Russian girl who was brought up as an atheist. She had taken a, a government examination, and like all students, she worried about the answers that she put on, on the test. And, and there was one particular question that bothered her. The question was, what is the inscription on the Sumerian wall? And she had written the prescribed answer. Religion is the opiate of the people. And that, of course, is the famous anti-religion declaration of the author of communism, Karl Marx. But the girl wasn't sure that she got the answer right, and so it bothered her more and more, and as it, as it bugged her even more, she, she walked seven miles to the Sumerian Wall to check it out, see if she got it right, and sure enough, there it was, written on the wall, religion is the opiate of the people. Well, she was greatly relieved, and for a moment she forgot her upbringing and exclaimed, Thank God I got it right. (laughs) I guess there are times that even an atheist has to thank somebody. (laughs) 
the fact is that communist governments, whether in Russia or Cuba or China or wherever in the world, they've discovered that after generations of propaganda, it is still very difficult to purge people from their belief in God. There just seems to be something within the human spirit that is ever reaching outward and upward. And we may not understand it completely, but there's, there's, there's a hungering within us that only a relationship with God can satisfy. And as we begin to satisfy that hunger for God, we will find that we are beginning to doubt our doubts. And here's the final thing to be said today, and that is that the Christian faith can only be analyzed from the inside. It is something that we experience, and you can't explain it. This is where those who try to analyze God from a scientific perspective will will have a problem, because you cannot find God with the most powerful telescope ever built. And you cannot find God with slide rules or test tubes or enormous computers or even the giant atomic particles collider that's looking for the God particle, they say. There's only one way to find God, and that is to take a step of faith and to entrust your your life to God and to enter into a, a daily walk with God as your Savior and as your Lord. I cannot prove to you that God exists. I can't. I cannot prove to you that God exists, but you can prove God to yourself. Let's use an analogy. Can I prove to you that love exists? Pam used the analogy of air a little while ago. Can you prove that air exists? I mean, it's there. You breathe it, so there's a little evidence. Can I prove that that love exists? Scientists can can put electrodes to your skin, uh, the skin of a person in love, and, and measure the pulse rate and the respiration and the blood pressure of that person in the presence of, of their beloved. But that wouldn't pr- really prove anything. Too much caffeine can do the same thing. You have the same reactions there. The only way that you can ever prove love is to experience what it's like to love and to be loved. It's the only way. And that's the way it is with faith. There are only two ways that the existence of a loving God can be proved. The first is is by the testimony of others. And we can say with utter certainty that there have been millions of people down through history who have experienced God as a reality in their lives. Millions of people. That's one proof. But even that will not satisfy the skeptic. But the most conclusive evidence of the existence of God is to experience God for yourself. As the old song says, you ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. The richest man in the world, Croesus, once asked the wisest man in the world, Thales, what is God? And the philosopher asked for a day to ponder this and then for another and another, and another. And finally, he had to confess that he was not able to answer that question. And furthermore, the longer he deliberated, the more difficult the question became for him. Well, one of the early church fathers, Tertullian, used that as an example of the world's ignorance of God outside of Christ. There, he exclaimed, is the wisest man in the world, and he cannot tell you who God is. But the most ignorant man among Christians knows God and is able to make him known to you. Tertullian was making the point that the Christian faith is something that has to be experienced from the inside. It's not something you can explain from the outside. And our faith grows as we walk with God day by day. It is unlikely that Thomas would ever have experienced true faith if he had not remained among the disciples. He would have never experienced the joy and the relief that he had when he fell to his knees at the feet of Jesus and exclaimed, 
my Lord and my God. So what happened to Thomas after his experience with the risen Christ? Well, his later life is shrouded in mystery and legend. There's an apocryphal book called The Legend of Thomas. It says that when the disciples divided up the world to conquer for Jesus, Thomas got India, and that he died in India for the faith that he had once doubted. And today, if you go to India, in South India, you'll find a church there called the Thomist Church. This church claims that Thomas was the founder, their founder. It seems that Thomas dropped his doubts at the feet of Jesus that day, and he, began, he became one who testified to others that the risen Christ is real. Yes, Thomas was a doubter. He had to see for himself, and Jesus did not condemn him for that. However, Jesus did say, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. My friends, doubt is an obstacle that when overcome, it can cause us to have a deeper, richer, more meaningful faith. And in the struggle for meaning, the wise person will learn how to eventually doubt his or her doubts. And ultimately, the only way to prove that faith is real is to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to walk in His way and to experience His love for yourself. Amen. Let's sing together our closing hymn, number 135, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. As God sent Jesus to be the light of the world, so now the Spirit of Jesus sends us out into the world around us. May God unlock the doors of our fears that we might freely stand among the world's people, that we may share the touch of Jesus, and that we might speak his words, peace be with you. Amen.